Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today, this Friday. Uh, we are, I don't know, guys, we are, we're about a little less than a week away from the start of spring football. Um, starts next Thursday. Is that right? Am I? If, if, if the dates we have are correct, which we think they are, it will be next Thursday. Yes. Uh, there's a lot to get to ahead of that start of spring football. Um, a lot of storylines to, to discuss, monitor. Um, and on this edition of the show, we're going to kind of present each of us three guys that we think um, need to have big springs because this season could be – they could be like a key piece for Oregon make, you know, being really good, uh, making or breaking their season. Or it could be a, a guy individually where it's like, hey, if you're not going to do it now – this coming season, you may get passed up and it never happens during your time at Oregon. So it's a kind of a collection of both. Just nine guys, all important. Uh, we'll start it off with Chris Hudson, um, a junior wide receiver. It's the guy, I, one of the guys I nominated. Um, he's been productive. He's also been inconsistent in his time at Oregon. Um and it's been clear that Oregon's coaching staff is trying to raise the level of competition at his position because they went in and they brought Tez Johnson in um, from Troy, one of the best group of five wide receivers this past season, maybe if not the best. Uh, and they're linked with Gary Bryant Jr., uh, a transfer portal wide receiver target that plays the same position coming out of USC. So there, it's clear that Oregon is – looking for more, looking to get more out of this wide receiver position with Chris Hudson. And I think it's important for Oregon's success that he has a good year. I think it's also important for his longevity at Oregon that he has a good year, because if he's not careful, the guys that Oregon's bringing in could, could surpass him and his role really diminish if he even stays here, really. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, when when you when we kind of came up with this idea in the last couple of hours, uh, 24 hours, came up with it yesterday, yeah. Hudson was the name, I think, he was first when we brought up and as kind of defining what this exercise was, and I think rightfully so in terms of, I think it was a huge spring for Chris for, for kind of applies to both. Matt kind of laid out kind of what the parameters are, and you look at Hudson, you go, here's the guy who was big last year in terms of the success of the team, in terms of his role, and a guy who will would continue to be that if he retained his role, then obviously as Matt uh, suggested at the end there, uh, there's no guarantee he does hold on to his role. And if he doesn't, he might not be with the team by the time you get to, to August. So um, yeah, I think he certainly is, is somebody that this is a make or break spring. I think uh, rightfully one of the first names we, we bring up here today, because I, I look at him and I know Jared probably agrees. Jared had one of his biggest uh, storylines to follow was the Tez Johnson, Chris Hudson battle here. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think Hudson certainly qualifies and is somebody that you're looking at this spring going, gosh, if he has a really good spring, he might position himself to once again be kind of number two in the pecking order, um, you know, as a receiver. But if it doesn't go well, as we said, there's a possibility he's not even here. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking uh, full charge of the Hudsonites who are going to come <laughs> and attack you in the comment section as they have attacked me the last couple of weeks. Um, but it's clear. I mean, this is going to be a real competition. Uh, Chris Hudson has been a good uh, wide receiver at Oregon, good slot wide receiver for Oregon the last couple of years. He's been productive. The consistency always isn't there. But, you know, he's reliable enough to where if he has to make a catch, you're going to feel good about it, um, which is fine. And that's good. And that's not exactly what Oregon wants to do. They want to have a wide receiver core that uh, can has the ability to make big plays, can go out and catch every ball and go make a play on a screen, go make a play down the field, do whatever you want. Eric, I don't know what's going on in your room, but you're you're scanning the area like like someone's well, at your window. Yeah, sorry. I hate to distract with my my visuals here because uh, this is an audio podcast for some. There is some – sometimes you just see weird stuff going on outside your window. I'll leave it at that. I, I don't really want to try to explain what I just was looking at, but it was weird. I'm the one that's in Vegas that should be saying that kind of line, not, yeah. not you. Well, well, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a not so nice neighborhood. I'm in a not so nice neighborhood, and there are weird people doing strange things outside. So, uh, anyway, continue, Jared. Yeah, of course, with the weird people and doing strange things in a strange area. Um, Chris Hudson, no, uh, I think Tez Johnson is going to be a legitimate impact guy, 
and um, I, I, you know, people can just watch his tape, and I know that it's tough to look at because he played at Troy, uh, and the numbers are kind of like, oh, well, he played at a lower tiered school, so how seriously should I take this? I think you should take it very seriously. I think that Dan and company are bringing this guy in because they know he's good, not just because he's Bo Nix's brother. Uh, and then the Gary Bryant adds more layers to it. Um, Bryant is down between Oregon, I think uh, Miami, and another school. And I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, it's clear that of those three schools, Bo Nix is the best quarterback. So if he wants to go to a school that has the best passing game situation, he would pick Oregon. Whether he does or doesn't isn't up to me, but that would just add another guy into the mix. And it's clear that Oregon is recruiting him, too. They had him on campus recently. They are very okay with adding in another slot receiver, even though they have Tez and they have Chris Hudson. And they have, I don't know, maybe Justice Lowe becomes a slot receiver. Who knows? But they're very confident with just adding in another guy. I do want to make it known that I do. I'm in support of Chris Hudson. I just think, oh, I think we all are. you have to read. You have to read mm-hmm. the room, and it's very obvious that that Oregon thinks there could be more at that position, and so that's why I named Chris Hudson. I think he's a, a really good number three guy in in your wide receiver rotation. But Oregon senses that 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 position needs to be better, and you have to be able to read the room. And that's kind of what I why I acknowledged this is i think he's good i think he could be good i I think he is a little underrated within the oregon fan base but i also acknowledge that oregon staff says there needs to be more at that spot do we think he's just like a really good practice he plays he maybe doesn't show up on saturdays because do you remember the reports we were getting out of out of fall camp last year on hudson and how he was the best receiver and then we got to the season and it was clearly troy franklin so like and that's part of why maybe Maybe there's reason to be more optimistic than maybe it seems like we're giving credit for with with Hudson being the one who wins this job. And I guess if you wanted to do the entire, I still think he's absolutely make or break. But if you wanted to do the you know plays devil's advocate from the narrative of like Ted Johnson's probably you know, has a good chance to beat him out, you could say, well, Chris Hudson, has been here longer, been productive, right. everything right. in practice has been positive, more highly regarded as a recruit, more physically developed, which is hard to believe because if anyone we've seen Chris Hudson, you're like. That's a very slight human being, but Tess Johnson also a slight human being. So I'm, 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 I, I probably also I, I, I'm in agreement with what we're saying here. But if you just want to kind of lay out the other angle on it, like there's reasons to think Chris Hudson can absolutely still win this job, and I hope it doesn't come across like we're overlooking that. It's just Oregon has mm-hmm. added really good players to try to compete because that's what you do when you're a program trying to win a lot of football games. So um, right. I think we're going to move on to my my yeah. my first offering here so we don't go seven or eight minutes per player because otherwise we're going to be here for uh about an hour and a half uh let's start with uh brian addison i think he's the one i feel of the three and we should note like we kind of just picked these we didn't snake draft this we just each kind of picked three i went last i think i i probably don't like all my names in fact a couple of them on here i'm just curious to kind of get uh, we haven't talked about these specific players and kind of what we look at this spring. So we'll get to those players later. And, and I'm not necessarily saying it's make or break, but just curious on your guys' thoughts. But Addison, I think, is the one of the three I have here that is clearly the most make or break. I mean, uh, and we don't even have to go into this too long, uh, but because we've talked about it a lot. But, you know, I think Addison, Steve Stevens, and, and Jamal Hill are all enter in similar spots. These are guys who uh, played almost every position, every uh, snap, I should say, this last year. Um, at the two different deep safety positions or the two safety positions, um, and, are, and they're all back. But they've also added Evan Williams. There's some mm-hmm. competing depth in terms of players developing who could challenge here. And you look at Addison, you say, wasn't a starter at any point in his career. How much longer does he is he okay with that? You know, played a ton last year. PFF thought really highly of Brian Addison, especially as a coverage player. I think they thought pretty highly of him as a tackle. So yeah, I thought Brian. I think Brian Addison had a great season, uh, junior season this last year. So, uh, you know, there's reason to be optimistic. But then you also say, hey, he wasn't a starter. Will he be a starter this year? Maybe, maybe not. And ultimately, what happens this spring will play a role in whether or not he ends up winning a starting job. So I think Addison, and I think not to, to preview too much of this, I think we all think Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill also um, are candidates just for kind of really similar situations. So if they enter spring. Uh, as guys who played a ton, will that be the case this fall? We don't know, but I think spring will determine a lot of that, or at least a, a, a good part of that. Of the returning 
safeties. I actually feel the best about Brian Addison because I don't need him to start. I need him to be my third down and long safety, and I need him to go and drop back into center field coverage and just patrol the area with a 6-5 frame. Um, but I, I still think, like, to your point, Eric, I still think it's a, an opportunity for somebody to, to, you know, move ahead of him in the depth chart. Um, I mean, realistically, like, I, I made my list with what position groups basically added the most talent in the offseason, and safety was one of them and bringing in guys and still returning players as well. And B.A. is was a really good, you know, uh, safety last season. But I don't I don't know if he's going to be a starter. I don't know if he's going to be the first guy off the bench just because of who they've added and who they've subtracted. Um, I still feel like he's going to be a complimentary piece. I just don't know what his playing time is going to be uh, next season. And if there is a position group that you you would look to, you know, kind of change around based off of last season's performance, Safeties are high up there. Safeties and linebackers and potentially some cornerbacks here. Um, I think those are the groups that you'd want to see a big change in, in the offseason and hopefully a lot of out, added talent coming in. And um, Oregon has done some of that at safety this offseason, but we'll see if that changes what BA's um, his role is on the field because I feel like he'll still have a similar type third and long type of uh, like, you know pass down uh, play style. Yeah, this is a guy that he's going to be exhausted of eligibility, I'm pretty sure, right, after this coming season? Yep. next um, year, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's very obvious that, like, if you want to be a starter, this is your chance at Oregon because there isn't one after this. But it's also a case like what Jared said where there's a lot of turnover here and at this position, and you're going to need some some people to be consistent. And it would be huge, I guess, for Oregon's overall team success if they know that Brian Addison, whether it's a full-time coverage, you know, whether it's a full-time starter or it's like what Jared said as the third downs, you know, pass defense of safety, if if they know consistently, hey, we're going to get really good production out of Brian Addison in this, in this role no matter what. Like that's, that's critical for Oregon, whether it's as a backup, in a special, you know, situation type role or a full-time role. I think this is another mm-hmm. one that this is a good, I think a good pick where it's another guy where there's a lot on the line individually. And there's also a lot of line collectively for this unit and for this team, for this guy to have a good season. Am I going? Yes, you are. I figured we would have more banter. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of my, who should be the, the first overall pick here of my three. Hmm. I'll go I Steven think we, Jones. I don't think we go needed ahead. more banter at that point. Sorry, I was just going to say, I don't think we needed more banter. I think we were bantered out. No, you're good. We just, you know, we went seven minutes on Hudson and then, you know, like four or five on our dear yeah. friend Brian. But Stephen Jones, I think I'm going with Stephen Jones. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, going into spring camp, I think this is a make or break year for Stephen. And obviously, that's also because of eligibility, because I think after this season, he'll be done just like Addison. Yes. Um, for, for Jones, you know, he's a guy who started at right guard last season. I think it was right guard, not left. He started at right guard last season, got, gets injured within the first two weeks. Then Marcus Harper comes in, who performs well in passing downs and maybe not great in running downs, but I thought he was a really good offensive lineman overall. He was somebody that you didn't notice was on the field, which is probably the highest achievement that you can have as an offensive lineman. You just go and do your job. Uh, Stephen Jones comes back towards the end of the season. Oregon's offensive line continues to do well. But heading into this year, Oregon adds some talent through the, both the transfer portal and the 2023 class at the offensive line position. Um, returns Marcus Harper and Stephen Jones. And now there's going to be a good old football competition about who's going to be one of the starting guards because you have a lot of guys who could do it with uh, Harper, Stephen Jones, Junior Aguilar, a transfer from Texas, who was a starting left guard for three years before uh, suffering a torn I don't know. I think it was an ACL at Texas in spring camp last season. Uh, you still have big Feope if you want to add his name to the list. But um, those are four or five guys. And maybe George Silva, maybe Dan and company, maybe Alik Terry thinks that he's a better guard than he is tackle. I would say he looks more like a tackle. But we'll see what him and, and uh, our dear friend Dan Kavanaugh think about his situation. Um, but I think that this is... Oh, and uh, Dave Iuli, 
Thank you, Eric, for mentioning that in the private chat. I forgot about him. Um, there are some guys, but that's like six or seven names that I just listed who could all be competing for a starting guard job. And now you're Stephen Jones. You come back for your final year with no um, – unless Dan behind the scenes has said, hey, you're going to be the starter next season. There's no clear uh, – there's a role there, – there's a clear path to that role, but it's going to be difficult because you're going to have to get through all these guys. And um, – you know, he was somebody who was brought in as a potential tackle that never really worked. I don't know if he's really sticking at guard because last season it flipped around and him and Sala would switch positions all the time. So I just think this is going to be a make or break camp for Steven Jones here. And um, again, this is like a Chris Hudson situation. I don't think it's the worst of things. I think it's a lot of good competition going on. I I wanted to have Steven Jones on, on my list, but I couldn't I couldn't convince myself to just go three offensive guys. Spoiler alert for my next pick later on but I so I like this um I he's the most experienced guy on this team within an Oregon uniform uh for this position group in which four starters are gone um he's played in big moments he's played in big positions uh left tackle he's, he spent some time he's played basically everywhere but center over his previous what four or five years now um mm -hmm. at, at Oregon um but Correct me if I'm wrong here. Like, I don't think he's ever really put together a full season where we're like, he was really dominant. And yeah. that was yeah. kind of the expectation when he showed up. Um, I, I want to say he was ranked right around where Panay Sewell was um, when when they joined together at Oregon. Uh, I think so, he was lesser of a prospect, but he, I think he was still like a four-star guy. He was. I think he was a top 100 guy. If I remember correctly, um, but no, no. Regardless, he would, everyone on the West Coast wanted him, and we haven't mm -hmm. seen we haven't seen a dominant season for Stephen Jones. Whether that's injuries or, or because you know, he did battle a couple early on in his in his career, but this is one that there's a lot on the line. I think collectively, he could really he's got the NFL size. Does he put it all together to to warrant you know a draft selection at some place in the draft next year? And Oregon needs him to be really good because, you know, four starters are gone from a really good offensive line unit. Yeah. You know, I'm, try I'm trying to pull up uh, Jones's PFF grade in 2021. That was his one year where he started the entire season just to get a feel for, for how good that was. Uh, Jared, can you try to pull it up really quick? I, I'm having a hard time yep. getting it uh, access just to see if his grade was, was good or not. Because that's really – I mean, Matt, you bring up a good point of, like, the expectations were high, uh, four-star recruit. Uh, this is year six coming up, by the way. And if you look at his career, uh, in 18, he came in and burned a redshirt year to start late, replacing Penesul. 19, he played four games. That was an injury year. Uh, 2020 was COVID. He played seven, only started one game, though. Remember, they were, they were rotating the whole year. And then 2021 was the full season. And then last year, obviously, injuries kind of cut the whole thing. So I'm in total agreement. I think this is a great choice in terms of this means a lot for Jones. This is his sixth year. This is his last try at it. And because of a variety of things, we haven't ever gotten to a point, as Matt said, where we've really seen um, him completely dominate. Um, Jared, do you have 2021 PFF hold up? What is what is the uh, what's the verdict? I do, on that? yeah. Uh, season grade 2021 uh, overall was a 64.6 and 781 snaps, and now I will compare that to Marcus Harper, who came in, was a 67.2 and 711 snaps. So he was just a hair better and a hair fewer snaps. Um, I'd, but, like to, I'd like to remind but, but, everybody that... But uh, clearly he wasn't great, was it, just to put that in. Yeah, he was, he was a good offensive lineman, but he wasn't elite. I, I think he's pretty sure he probably helped the offensive line because of his size. And I still think yeah. Stephen Jones is a good offensive lineman. I just think that this, again, like the Hudson situation, is a, is a situation where, sorry for using situation twice, but this is a point where they have added more talent in the offensive line room than they've had in years past. And now the number one guy is going to be challenged by the number two and potentially number three guy. The Stephen Jones expectations really began in 2018 when Panay Sewell went down for injury and Stephen Jones filled in at left tackle. And or I think uh, Panay might have been playing right tackle at that time. No, nope, left. He was still left. But since then, it hasn't necessarily been a cakewalk. And in those 107 snaps in 2018, PFF grades him as 79.2, which is by far his career best. Um, so... It's going. It's just going to be a good competition. 
And this, again, this isn't to say that we all don't like Stephen Jones as an athlete or an Oregon player. I think we're all in agreement that he is good. This is just yeah. the case. This is just how, and I feel like there's a miscommunication between what we talk about on the podcast and these senses and what the fans hear is that that we don't like these guys. It's no, this is just how Dan is bringing the program around. It's a bit different than it has been in years past and that there's a lot more competition. And I think all these players are are good. They've been good the last couple of years. It's just there are now other guys who are good at the same position group. Yeah, and that's a good distinction to make for listeners who I've been seeing it recently that Jared hates Chris Hudson. And it's like, I've had tons of conversations with Jared where he really, really likes Chris Hudson. So I know he doesn't. And with Stephen Jones, I haven't projected to start. Like I, I still think he's going to be your day one right guard. Like he was last year before injury hit. And, and I he has was, that chance. Yeah. He absolutely does. And and again, like I, I still come back to, uh, and because I know we can move on here and, and Matt can pick his name as second guy, but I still come back to the fact that Jones missed 10 games. We thought Harper was playing pretty darn well. I will say we, we did notice Harper a little bit because he taught Oregon fans what an illegal man downfield penalty might be uh, with, with a <laughs> slew of those. <laughs> but uh, but jo- when Jones was available to come back, and I think this surprised all of us because we all kind of thought uh, Harper will hold off and Jones will be that guy off the bench. Jones was reinserted. So that's why I think there's still plenty of optimism. I think he can can start. And for to Jared's point at the end there about us liking or not liking guys, just because a guy's on this list doesn't mean we're thinking we're, we're overlooking him. We don't like him. I, I think we all like Stephen Jones, and I know I have him slated as a starter. All right. Uh, my next guy, tight end, sophomore, or is he junior? I think he's a junior. Like a, he's like a uh, fifth-year sophomore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patrick Herbert. Um, and this is one where I think it's important for him individually and also important for the collective team as well. Oregon – the, the leader of the tight end discussion is Jared Mack, and he has made it very clear in the last couple months that there's three tight ends on the roster, and that is far too too few. Uh, I'm in total agreement of that. Uh, you have one healthy guy in Terrence Ferguson. You have Patrick Herbert, who's had two season-ending injuries, coming back for another year. He did play all of last season health-free or injury-free, which is good. And then you have freshman Kenyon Sadiq. Um, you do not want to have to ask Kenyon Sadiq to basically be a pseudo starter as a freshman and have no other option behind him. So that means Patrick Herbert needs to be able to elevate his game from what he was last season, which was kind of like a tight end H back type guy who would play fullback. We get, you know, we'd get a couple reps at, at, you know, the regular tight end position, but he needs to become more. And, it's important for Oregon this season, but it's also important for him collectively and, you know, as, as a player too, because Oregon's got a tight end commit in the 2024 class. They're probably going to go out and find another tight end in the 24 class to add. They could very well add a tight end portal player uh, before the 2023 football season starts. And if Herbert's not careful, he could get passed up. Now I think, some of it is potentially due to the injuries that he suffered. He's he's not the same level of athlete that he was when he showed up um, in 2019. And that has to be, you know, you have to have that context provided. But like you guys have said, Oregon continues to, to kind of retool, reload, and elevate position groups. And this is another one that's kind of going through that. The Ducks are going to have a wide group of, prospects enter the program at this position after the 2023 season or maybe even before it and Herbert this is his chance to really establish himself and establish a role and if he doesn't he could get passed up I was pretty encouraged by Herbert in in totality last year I I don't know if we talked enough about so was I I, and I think, yeah, I, I just wanted to communicate that. I, I, I thought Herbert and McCormick a year ago, we almost kind of got overlooked. Just these are guys whose entire careers have been, you know, diminished and, and, and derailed because of injury. I thought both of them played pretty darn well when they were out there for the most part. Obviously, some of the pop and some of the athleticism for both of them that, you know, they had when they were younger and before the injuries was kind of lacking. But I, 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 think Herbert has a chance to still be a really good player. And um, to Matt's point, he's going to have a ton of opportunity. I mean, I, this is played out in a way where if you're Patrick Herbert and you were sitting there 
you know, kind of close in 2022 and you're going like, well, I'm kind of the fourth man on the pecking order. Well, the season ended and shortly after two guys transferred who were ahead of him, he comes into spring. Like I think it's kind of your de facto number two. And if you want to be really honest, and this is what I think his role will be, is probably your number one inline blocker. Because as good as Terrence Ferguson is as a pass catcher, he still has some work to do there. I don't think anyone expects Kenyon Sadiq at 6'3", 220, 225. Maybe he gets to 230, 235 by the start of the season. I think that'd be a big win. But you don't expect him to be ahead of Herbert from that regard either. So, um, I mean, like, I, I think from a physicality and size perspective, he's a little different than the other two guys. So that gives him maybe an opportunity. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I think I'm in agreement with Matt that he's certainly one of the candidates for that because as, as Matt said, Hey, if this doesn't work out for, for Patrick this spring, he might be in a spot where by 2024, it's not going to get any easier. I mean, Sadiq's going to be right on his heels, whoever they bring in through the portal, which I, I know we expect will still take place and, you know, sometime after spring, that player, you know, could be here for more than one season and, 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 you know, and so if you're Herbert, it's really important, I think, to kind of establish yourself as the number two, or at least as the top kind of inline guy. Um, because if you don't do that this year, uh, you, you might lose on responsibility going forward. So no, I, I, I think he's a, a certainly a candidate and I'm pretty optimistic. I'm trying to be pretty optimistic if this tight end thing is going to work out. I still think like, as we've established, I need to add somebody, but, but like, I, I think you've got good players is at least the, is the positive starting part. Now, another thing is finding some depth. And, and if, and I think that's the other thing for Herbert, if you want to be really glass half full is if Herbert has a really strong spring and kind of establishes himself, I know you're always going to be wary of the injury that might impact kind of what you're looking for in the portal. Or maybe you get to a point where you say, Hey, we don't have to hit portal. Let's go find uh, a defensive end in the uh, form of a DJ Johnson or a Hunter Campmoyer who can be, uh, that second inline blocker uh, without actually going out and making an addition. Because Oregon has had some success, at least recently, with both those guys at least being competent, capable players rather than having to hit the portal. So, um, I don't know. Those are just some thoughts on Herbert. I just, yeah, I'm glad that you guys are now on the dark side and needing to add another tight end. Um, I think it's still a big priority. I think it should, or at least it should be for Oregon. Um, for Herbert, I mean, I look more at fall camp being his biggest question mark because Oregon can't add another tight end right now. So for spring camp, I think he's going to be chilling as the number one or the number two. And until Sadiq comes aboard and we get to see what he looks like and see what his talent is. But like to Eric's point, Sadiq is not going to be an inline blocker. You know, he's going to be somebody who uses his size and his speed as a mismatch on the edge, similar to what Terrence Ferguson can do. But Sadiq is a much better athlete than Ferguson. And that's no disrespect to Terrence Ferguson because he moves well for a guy his size. I think the loss of Maliki Matavau is really hurtful for this for the offense because that's a guy who is probably your best blocking tight end. He and Cam McCormick last season. Um, Cam eventually was going to leave. It, it just felt like for the last couple of years that it was going to happen, but it finally happened after this past season where he played. Um but those two guys as inline blockers really impacted the offense and how they can how they can gel and how they can get the ball down the field. I think Herbert is a fine inline blocker, but his snap counts compared to a lot of others, all the other tight ends are significantly less. And we're still going to have to rely on him to be the second string tight end. And hopefully Sadiq, you know, gets up to collegiate play soon. I just I I don't know. I, I worry about relying on on that because that's your only option and there's no backup plan there. And this is why I've been clamoring for somebody to come in during the transfer portal period for another tight end. All it has to be is Kano Dillon. That's all it's got to be. Just another guy who can line up block and maybe catch a pass here or there. Um, You know, it's not like McCormick and Maliki Matavau were downfield threats. It's not like they were real offensive threats in general, but they were able to make a catch every once in a while and Maliki being the better of the two. And that's all you need for Oregon. You just need to add one or two more guys, or maybe it's, you know, a defensive end who moves over. Maybe it's Trevin Mai who moves over and becomes an offensive player, but um, you still need to add two tight ends or at least one, um, and for Herbert's sake, I, I think he's fine until fall camp. I think he's fine until they get another tight end in the room. And then I think it's going to be a real competition. Unless there's further Herbert or Herbert rebuttal, I'm going to uh, jump in and, and throw out my second name. Go for it. Uh, and we've touched on this one, so we can kind of cruise past this if we'd like. But Marcus Harper, 
we've already mentioned his name mm-hmm. quite a bit during the Stephen Jones talk. I think we're going to do that a little bit because there'll be overlap with with some of the names that are still le- left here in terms of we've already discussed the position, kind of similar circumstances. Um, I'm actually curious on your guys' opinion here because I'm not 100% sold. And again, I, I picked my three guys after you guys had picked your three. So, uh, so I, I ended up kind of at the bottom of the barrel in terms of if I actually mm-hmm. think it's make or break. Um, and the reason I let me make the case for why, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys. And I probably agree with some of the reasons you think it's not. Um, the reason why it could be seen as a make or break spring for for Marcus Harper is, hey, this guy was just starting for almost all of last season, ten games, um, proved to be a pretty darn good player. Jared read out his PFF grade; it was a little bit better than what Jones did the year prior. So. He's got a little bit of a track record here. He's a bit of a known commodity. In terms of guys returning with starts, he has the second most on the team behind Jones. Um, so you've got all of this kind of building, and and the argument would be if it's a make or break of, shoot, if I'm not even going to start here, and you're going to get through spring and come out going, gosh, am I even going to be starting here? I mean, it's also not like he's in his first or second year. You have to remember he dealt with some injuries. He had to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, How much longer does Marcus Harper – want to wait to get a starting position and you could be a situation where if he doesn't perform really well that he takes a look because this will be his fourth year he'll be a fourth year uh i guess junior the covid year thing still throws me for a loop but he'd be a, he's a fourth year junior does he really want to wait till his his fifth year as a senior to, to be a full-time starter again and there's no guarantee of that because you know oregon will hit the portal in some regard as well um so I just think there's quite a bit of make or break for him individually of, gosh, this is a guy who clearly talented enough, capable of starting, proven he can do it at Oregon. He might not have an opportunity because Oregon has gone out and has the player he was replacing last year has returned and they've gone out and added some players. So um, that's why individually. And then from a team perspective, Oregon badly needs to play well up front. We've already established that. So much of Bo Nix's success this last year was the offensive line. A whole bunch of that is replaced. You need to play any quality offensive line play. And Marcus Harper was, by the way, a really good pass blocker. At one point, mm-hmm. was like, I think, the highest-rated interior line pass blocker in the Pac-12 and one of the best nationally. And then, of course, things kind of smooth. I think kind of, you know, eaves off a little yeah. bit over the course of the back. It's still had... a really good mark, right? It was an 80-something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 80-something, yeah. It's still really good. But, you know, I look at the Marcus Harper situation as more of like a – do or die for Oregon because you get a couple more years for Marcus Harper in terms of eligibility compared to one of Stephen Jones. And I, it could, I feel like the loser of that competition is probably going to hit the portal because they have similar resumes where they've both proven themselves at a power five level, the PAC 12 level of being a solid reputable starting lineman who a lot of teams could use. They both have good size. They're both, um, you know, they're both athletic enough. Uh, I think Harper has dealt with lesser of injuries than Stephen Jones because it feels like Stephen Jones is injured often. Um, but I think they're both guys who would be very hot commodities in the transfer portal, especially if a team needs an offensive lineman. Um, and the flip side is that if they both stay, you have some really damn good backup offensive linemen, which what does that mean? I'm not sure because offensive linemen never really come out of the game unless you're the 2021 but- Ducks. But, um, but Jared, how valuable was it hello. to have a Harper off the bench when Jones went down this last year? That that is very crazy. valuable. Yeah, that's inherently yes. valuable. Mm-hmm. And I just you know I look at this year's team, and there's a lot of guys who could jump off the bench, which is very valuable again. But if you lose Harper or Jones, I'm not saying it, it won't make an impact on what the offensive line rotation will look like. It will, but it, I think this year they'd be able to go through it easier than they were last year. I just, this is going to be a tough situation for Elite Terry and Kavanaugh and Dan Lanning of figuring out who it is that they, they want to start at right or left guard uh, with Aguilar and with all the guys that I mentioned earlier. Um, I just feel like this one, if Harper doesn't win the job, if I were him, I'm gone. I'm hitting the portal. I got three more years probably of eligibility. Uh, I've shown for two, two, two or three, whatever the case may be. Um, I've shown that I'm a good player. And yeah, who, who wants me? I'm going to go back home to Chicago. I'm going to go back and play for Illinois or Minnesota or something like that. I agree that there's a chance he's gone. And I think this is going to be very much like Dawson Jaramillo, the last couple of Mm -hmm. seasons where he, 
now the difference is that Harper actually got a lot of run. Jaramillo didn't. He just he didn't he didn't get an injury that, that forced him onto the field to have to show that he could do it. Harper did, and like Jared said, showed that he's a really good player. I don't think Dawson Jaramillo wanted to transfer from Oregon, but he wanted to play. And this is one of those transfers where it's like, hey, it's nothing that you did, you know, you didn't do or I didn't do. It's just I want to play and I'm, I love it here, but that's just not going to happen. And so I'm going to find a different school that I'm leaving on good terms. I'm, I'm not upset. You know, I want to be here, but I also want to play. And that's the most important thing to me. And so that's kind of where I lie with with Marcus Harper is. So I think this is a good pick where. It, it's maybe more important for for Oregon to find a way to make sure that he is okay with his role if he's not going to be a starter. Because, like Jared said, if I'm not if I'm Marcus Harper and I don't earn a starting spot, uh, I, I am thinking really long and hard about leaving because I want to play and I only have a few years left to play. One one thing I just noticed here, I, I think Harper could use a redshirt year if he wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he probably probably doesn't want to. I'm just saying. Could there be an angle here of hey, use your redshirt year? COVID year was 2020. He that year he didn't play in any of the games, so you could you could argue that's a redshirt year. But if he wants to use it, it's the COVID year instead. And then 2021 and 2022, he played enough games to uh, uh, to, to to not redshirt. So like maybe that's what you sell him on. I think it makes next to zero sense. I just thought I, I was just looking through his eligibility clock, kind of thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, where is he from an eligibility perspective? And if he doesn't redshirt, he'd return as a a fifth year senior in 2024. If he no, uh, if no. he does redshirt, he'd be a fifth year junior in twenty twenty four. Again, this is we're really jumping well, down is, the line here. This is where like the nil stuff play comes into play because right. now I don't know why you know I don't know if if Oregon's collectives have the money to do this, but some schools across the country do. Where an, kind of an unproven, you know, like you're you're not one hundred percent certain that Marcus Harper is going to be this superstar offensive lineman. But if you think he could be, like, an NIL collective could put together a package to entice him to do that redshirt. Like, hey, we understand that, you know, you, you don't want to do this, but we're going to help you financially. And it's going to kind of, you know, bridge the gap between your potential earnings at the NFL if you think you're at that level to give you one more year to, to get ready for it. Like, that. that's why I, I think maybe that discussion could happen is – they could put together a package to entice him to do that, stay an extra year. But I mean, hog. I I would love to see those type of things happen. I don't know if this is the one where it makes kind of the most sense. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's take. Oh, wait, Jared, your turn. Sorry. Yeah, I got one more, but I'll. I'll we've kind of belabored this position group as well, so I'll I'll do this one as a quick one before we cut to a break. Um, another Steve for me, Steve Stevens. Like this very similar situation to Ryan Addison. Uh, returner played well at points last season, played not so well at points, depending on who you ask. It's me. That's who you're asking. It's me. Um, but Steve Stevens, wonderful kid, great, great media personality. We love talking to him and media availabilities. Um, there is an influx of talent into the safety room. And now Oregon may have its opportunities to play or not play guys. And I'm not 100% convinced that if in the spring transfer portal period, that Oregon wouldn't continue to add talent to its safety room as they did late into the transfer portal window the last time around. Um, this is going, Steve is going to be a guy who's competing again this season for a starting job. And he'll be going against different competition, um, namely in Evan Williams and Tysheem Johnson and BA, and now Jamal Hill. Now you have some more options there to play. And this is just going to be one of those situations where I'm not sure if Steve loses the job that he would be out at Oregon. I, I think he's already graduated. So theoretically, yeah, he could, uh, he could enter the transport after spring period and, and, you know, check out and go play close to home, go play Fresno state. But um, you know, this is an opportunity for him to, to either make or break. It's like this whole segment's about it's a make or break for him as to whether he's going to be one of the starting uh, safeties like he was at points last season, or if he's going to sit the, or he's going to be the first guy at the bench, he's going to be the sixth man of the safety unit like he was at points last season. So 
I don't know. It'll be interesting. The safety room is one of the one of the position groups that I'm most interested to watch during uh, spring camp, just to see kind of what rotations are. But again, by May, whatever it is, fifteenth, it could all look uh, extremely different because of the spring transfer period portal, spring portal transfer period, whatever. I have no issues with Steve. Do do we want to go back and forth on this? I mean, oh, I, I, I just thought we were going in order. So I was just, if you wanted to have, if you wanted to say something, I was going to give you the opportunity to, to chime in. Okay. Yeah. I, I just like Addison, like there's a, a role where Steve's going to play in 2023 and the turnover. I mean, see the most experienced guy back. Uh, it depends on what you call experience. Yeah. Not from starts, but from age wise, he and Addison are both sixth year. He'll has, more career starts because he started in that's right in, in that's 20 right. as well yeah um it's it's weird he was higher ranked than uh javon holland and mm-hmm. coming out of high school and so there's definitely that potential there but i don't know if he's ever really maximized it. i don't know if he'll ever get there from what he was expected to be but he can still be a solid player um for oregon and he can be an important piece but I think it's probably best for Oregon if he's not a full-time starter. And that, that sucks to say because Steve is like a really good dude. He, he is always honest and you know good with mm-hmm. us and the media. Um, but it was evident that they brought in new, new, new names, new faces this offseason. And that's a clear sign that they're looking to improve, upgrade, whatever, reload, and – Steve's going to, you know, he's going to have to fight real hard to to keep his starting spot that he had last season. And quite frankly, I think he's going to have to fight really hard to, to keep a rotation spot. When I, you know, a couple of times I've talked about what Oregon needs to do to do this offseason. And, and one of them has been more speed in the, at the back end. And this is kind of what, what I'm talking about, you know, and I, I don't want to, again, take too much away from him because I think he's a really smart football player, um, plays pretty solid in space again i think uh you know a player who's been around this long has a ton of value on the field off the field in the locker room i think some of the athletic stuff just hasn't quite popped the way you would hope it would and i think that at a certain point is you can only kind of do so much with a player at this point in his career athletically he is kind of what he is and um i think from a football IQ, from a reading and understanding what offenses are doing perspective, I think he does all of that perfectly well. Um, you know, I'm not going to say he's the best in the country at it or anything, but I think he's certainly suitable. It's just athletically, I think he's been a step maybe slow. So um, I'm with Jared, I'm with Matt, kind of have already been over this. I, I don't want to belabor it because I know I've got a nickname as Eric the Belaborer apparently now. Um, but you guys kind of all know where we stand here. I think there's going to be open competition, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Stevens isn't isn't one of the starters by the end the end of it. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all that we get to to fall. And he's Jared made a good that's a good prediction if he goes somewhere. Fresno State would make a ton of sense considering he's from I think Edison mm-hmm. High School in, Fre- in, in Fresno. So, all right, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up. Uh, this exercise, we each have one more name to to release. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Uh, three more guys to discuss, and I'm going to make an audible. I mean, it's only obvious if this name is oh Yachts and Audibles. Uh, 
Oh boy. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a change and I'm gonna present it in a, a way that Eric did with his most recent guy. Um, okay. I don't know if this is one in which it truly is make or break, but Jeffrey Bossa, mm. mm-hmm. linebacker for Oregon, is gonna look entirely different from what it did the last couple of seasons. Um, Sewell is gone, your best linebacker. Flo, the guy with most potential, but couldn't put it together. He is gone. Um, Jeffrey Bossett did not have the best season last year, um, whether it was pro football focus or whether it was just the eye test. Um, he was not at his best. He played really good in the Holiday Bowl in a situation in which he was your most experienced, your best linebacker. But there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot riding on this group. It's going to look – it's a new group. There's – Justin Jacobs has, has joined the fold here. Um, Keith Brown looked really good. But Boss is now a, a, a two-year starter, and he had a really good freshman year. He had a down sophomore season. What are we going to get out of Jeffrey Bossa in 2023? Um, I think he's got a lot of potential physically. He's a freak. Uh, maybe a little undersized, but I think he's a he, he's a very athletic, and Oregon needs him to be really good. He needs to be better in twenty twenty in twenty twenty three than he was in twenty twenty two. And so I, I I'm going to nominate him. I don't know if like he gets surpassed because there's not a lot of bodies at this position. Yeah, but like they need him to be really good, and he was not that last season. Yeah, no, I know. I think from it's going back to the kind of the things we were talking about at the beginning that Matt brought up the two kind of subcategories we're looking at here. I think absolutely Jeffrey Bossa's development this spring, this fall is huge for the program. I don't, think there's any question. Oregon has to get better linebacker play. Um, there was a, a discussion on our message board the last couple of days over at odds and audibles on duck territory of, of just how mediocre to bad almost every single linebacker who suited up for Oregon was based on PFF. Right. And we referenced that a lot. I don't know if we do it too much. I don't want it to be the only thing we look at. I think we look at a lot of other things too, but it's certainly a way of assessing a player. And across the board, Oregon was bad at linebacker. So, of course, Bassa, the most experienced returner, really the only guy with any starting experience back, starting at Oregon. Obviously, Jacob started at Iowa before before getting injured. Um, it He clearly needs to take a step up. He has to be better for this defense to be what – you want it to be and the strides you need to see. And you see there's again, our message board, a lot of conversations about this defense. Why was it so bad? How can it get better? A big part of it is improved linebacker play. Think about the difference between the caliber of linebackers. Dan Landing was coaching at Georgia on that national championship defense. A bunch of guys go to the NFL and then the caliber of guys at Oregon this last year, which was again, according to PFF, probably a huge drop off. I haven't done the exercise, but I bet if you were to look at the PFF grades on average of the, the Georgia linebackers, and then you know, look at the Oregon by comparison. It's going to be a huge, huge Don't. gap, probably twenty points, thirty points. So, um, you know, that's that's I think a huge part. And I think from an individual perspective, though, Matt, I probably would lean towards what Jared said about Herbert. Or I think it's more about the fall for him. Yes. Because I, I don't, as you said, and I think you're right, I don't see a whole lot of competition for Bossa right now. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and, and and maybe if it's a terrible spring, they come out saying, "Gosh, we need to go add." And maybe that's an outcome. So maybe it, maybe you put a little pressure. But I absolutely think if you're Jeffrey Boss and you go through this season and it's a repeat of 2022 and 23, that the staff will will do what they've done at a couple of other positions and go, okay, we're going to bring in the equivalent of a Tez Johnson or the equivalent of a Junior Angelau or the equivalent of a Evan Williams, all these guys who come into positions where you you return a lot of experienced guys or, or at least like some of them in, in some cases returning starters. That that'll be something that they look at. So I I, I think Bossa, good pivot by Matt here because uh, I I think he's somebody who from a team perspective is really important and from an individual perspective this year as a whole is really big for him. And I haven't lost hope. I know it probably if people criticize Jared for being the Hudson hater, I'm sure I'm criticized for being the the Bossa basher, if you will. But uh, I, I I still have hope with him because I think there's a lot of athletic intangibles, um, but they really need him to play much better than he did this last year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to not have hope in what Bossa can do. Yeah, I've been critical of Bossa in the past, and 
sure I'll keep up that that mantra into this podcast as well. And then just, you know, it was poor linebacker play last year. I don't think we necessarily need PFF to show us that, but it does help us. Um, for Bossa, like Matt said, he'd played really well in the Holiday Bowl, and that was, um, you know, without Noah Stool. So maybe that's a sign of, of potential things to come. Um, I agree with Eric that fall camp is going to be more important because, yeah, maybe Bossa doesn't have a good spring camp and uh, Justin Jacobs doesn't look the same coming off of an injury and maybe they need to go and get another linebacker in the portal. Um, alongside Bossa and just his development in this offseason going into spring, I'm really excited to see what Justin Jacobs looks like. If he's going to be 100% healthy to, to participate in fall camp, I don't think we really know yet. Um, you know, his season-ending injury was suffered in like the second game of the season last year, so early September. It is now mid-March or about to be mid-March by spring camp arrival. Um, and I'm also really interested to see what Devin Jackson and what Harrison Taggart look like. I was really high on Devin Jackson last year. Obviously, he doesn't doesn't play basically at all except on special teams for a couple of games. Um, he's a guy who can add his name to the list, but for starters, it's clearly Bossa and then hopefully a healthy Justin Jacobs. Um and Bossa just needs to improve upon his run defense and his zone coverage. Uh, I think these are pretty simple things. And luckily, he has a really great teacher in Dan Lanning. Um, they have their new inside linebackers coach, or she, uh, yeah, inside linebackers coach whose name is slipping my brain right now. Um, but you know, he he was a playoff champion in, in Germany, so I think that should add some some real credibility to his name, and uh, hopefully get. Jeffrey Bossa, right. I, I mean, like Eric said, there's still a lot of potential there. He's going into his third season of college ball. Um, but at this point, you know, we shouldn't be expecting him to change positions and go back to a safety. We should be expecting him to be one of Oregon's starting inside linebackers. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what he looks like in spring camp. I think it's just as simple as that. So Jacobs, and I've talked to a couple people, I haven't got anything conclusive, but it'll be six months approximately from the injury to day one of spring. So I don't mm -hmm. feel super optimistic about, I know medical stuff is, <laughs> I'm speaking in very technical terms, medical stuff. I know, I know the medical, medical advancements have been, have been fast and furious. And it used to be when I was growing up, like when I was in middle school, a kid would, you know, someone tore their ACL or broke their leg. It was like, you might never see them You're again. Done. Uh, yeah. You might remember, uh, Jared, a, a Patriot legend for one year. I think it was Robert Edwards, who was a running back from Georgia, had a great rookie year, was playing in the uh, – like tore his ACL, like the Pro Bowl rookie flag football game mm. or something like that. And then his career was just over. And, you know, that's Happens. the kind of thing that happened. And now it's like a guy could tear his ACL and uh, and he might be back six months later to take part in spring. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just think I that part's crazy. <laughs> I don't remember what Jacob's specific injury was. I don't know if yeah. – I think we know. It was, I it think just, it was just a just soft tissue knee, knee injury. It says some knee, soft tissue leg injury, but either way, it's you know it's something where he couldn't play the entire last season in Iowa, even though he came into the season as a projected draft pick, but right. you know didn't didn't play. Yeah, I'm just pulling up to see. Yeah, there's there's not really any information on it. Uh, it just says due to knee injury. Uh, mm. So we'll see. Uh, my, my final, and I actually want to do this. A little bit backwards. I've got Ty Thompson on here. Interesting. Uh, I want to make the case for why it's not, and then I want to hear if either of you think it is. I think uh, so. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. I'm doing it totally inverted, and I just just because just to play a little devil's advocate. I think he's a player we haven't really talked about a lot, um, but I think it's worth having a conversation about Ty. I think the case you would make for why it's not a make or break is because next spring would be his make or break, because this year we know he's not starting. Um, and I guess he could be terrible this spring and it's like he transfers after or it's like Nova said surpasses him within a couple of days and you're like, oh boy, that was terrible. Like it, it, that, it, it broke. Like there, there it is. He doesn't make it, but he certainly broke it. But I, mm -hmm. there's not an outcome where Ty wins the starting job. So that's why I would say it's not. But you could also convince me and, and why I'm giving you guys the opportunity to do so that like this is spring number three i think for ty thompson and if you get through three of these and you don't see a, you don't feel like there's much progress made i think internally the staff will start to have and i'm sure they already are discussing what they want to do at quarterback for 2024 because uh, we had brandon huffman on the podcast a couple of days ago seems like the consensus was quarterback from a prep perspective isn't great in 24 and portal might make sense almost regardless of what they get there um 
But for for Ty, like this is a big. I think it's a big spring at the very least. I don't know if it's make or break, but you guys can convince me it is. I don't. I don't know if it's make or break for Ty. I I feel like if he was going to leave, like it would have been after this past season. I, I just you know like, or especially after Nick's announces that he's coming back, because like you said, Eric, you know, there's no way he's winning the starting job. And that's not to say that he doesn't have talent because he clearly does. He's got the best arm talent of any quarterback on the roster. It's about reading defenses. And, you know, if he goes into a situation where he is clearly going to be, you know, competing for a starting job and he's getting all the the same attention that like a Bo Nix would get from a assistant quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator at a new school, then, yeah, he should he would have already done that. Um, I'm not saying Ty is content with being a backup, but. You know, a long time ago, maybe your guys' days, uh, quarterbacks would stay longer than a year and a half or six months if you're Quinn Ewers and going to Texas. So yep. I think this could simply be an aberration that Ty Thompson is fulfilling his uh, commitment of staying with the Oregon Ducks for multiple seasons, which, as crazy as it sounds, could possibly be the answer to the situation. So I don't think it's a do-or-die spring for Ty yeah. Um you know, if he wants to leave again, I I think there were many moments where he sh- could have gone and he could have left because of the quarterback situation. Um, maybe it was when they brought in Bo Nix in the first place because they, you know, that that staff at the time didn't trust what Ty could bring to the table. Maybe it's this season. I don't know, but um, I think that Ty is content on continuing to learn and better himself and continuing to put himself in a good position to start next season. I think you could sell me on either one because, well, he doesn't really have a path to playing this season without Bo Nix getting hurt. Um, knock on wood. Uh, yep. At the same time, like what happens if Austin Novosad shows up mm-hmm. and is really good? And you're like, as a coaching staff, wow. Uh, we could play Austin this season if, if we didn't have Bo Nix, like, or if, you know, it's very clear, Hey, he's Austin's our number two. So I think Ty, it, it, Ty doesn't need to, to show that he's like going to be a superstar quarterback, but he needs to show improvement. He needs to show the coaching staff that, Hey, yeah, like Ty is still on track to pre- present himself as the leader in the clubhouse air quotes, of the QB competition going into spring ball next year. I think that's probably his goal is to show marked improvement and to show that, Hey, I'm still here and I'm still, I'm the veteran uh, between the, the other guys that, that will be on the roster and that I have the confidence and that you have the confidence in me to think that, you know, I I'm the guy next season and that you don't need to go get, a transfer portal quarterback, or you don't need to go and look at Austin Novosad over me. I think that's how I would, I would view this. I think that's well said in terms of Ty's goal this year should be to prove that going into 2024, it's his job to lose. And, and that's yeah. what 2023 mm-hmm. is about for Ty individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I agree. Final pick. All right. Dante Manning. Yeah. Mm. Do or die summer or spring. Yep. Um, yeah. Are you guys ready for Manning versus Bridges Volume Three? Because <laughs> that's what we're headed into. This is going to be the third straight spring camp or third straight season where the number two cornerback job is up in the air between Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges. Um, I, I now I'll add a, an asterisk to that because Kyrie Jackson is not necessarily a known commodity like Gonzalez was, like Michael Wright or T.J. James were in the past. Um, so this is going to be maybe a three-headed monster. I think we'll have this is be the trilogy with a three-headed monster. But I'm specifically focusing on Dante Manning because of the three, he feels like the one who is on the outside looking in. Um, mostly because Triquest Bridges was good as a cornerback. There, I said it. He was good as a cornerback for Oregon last season. Um, Kyrie Jackson and his very limited snaps at Alabama as a junior college transfer. His first season, he was pretty darn good. And he played even fewer snaps this last season after being, I think he was dismissed from the team, which, you know, that's fine. But we trust Dan. 
Um, he was pretty good in those limited opportunities as well. And I also carry the Alabama pedigree. I probably carry that a little too hard with Jackson just because I haven't really seen him play that often. But, you know, I still have him projected as a starter, at least in my defensive depth chart predictions. Thank you. Uh, for those listening, Eric has put up a banner saying that I said that Treyquist Bridges is good. And, you know, he is. And But of the three guys, Manning is the one who came in as a five-star commit. He came as a five-star signee. He's the highest-rated cornerback prospect Oregon has ever signed. I think so. And he hasn't necessarily lived up to the expectations. We are now going into year three. And while he is still the same athlete and he's dealt with a bunch of injuries in the past two seasons to maybe stunt his development as a cornerback on the field, you know, he got into a few games last season. He showed up at points. He wasn't great at points, but, you know, that's like his first real season of playing consistent football. And maybe he's the guy who takes the biggest leap this offseason with a full, healthy offseason to condition, to study film, to you know, work on his technique with Coach Demetrius Martin. Um, and maybe he's really, maybe it really is a Bridges versus Manning volume three for that first or second cornerback position. But if it isn't, and he's still clearly the third or fourth guy, Oregon has done themselves a favor by bringing in a lot of four-star commits coming in as true freshmen last season and true freshmen this season to build up that cornerback depth. And one, all they need is one other guy to, to break. And maybe it's Julio Florence. Maybe it's one of the newcomers and Roderick Pleasant or Dalen Austin. But if it's not Dante Manning and it's one of those guys, he, he, he I mean, he, he was on record saying that he thought about transferring before Dan Lanning came because mm -hmm. Dan Lanning is a, is a Missouri guy and they're, they're connected because they're both from Missouri. So I see, I see no reason that, you know, there's not a chance that he could, he could end up departing the team after spring camp if he's, you know, the third or the fourth guy again this year. Do we – what's, like, best case for him that he's really good and then he's gone? Like, yeah, I feel like, best I feel case like for Dante Manning, Manning yeah. has, like, an insane – ceiling and floor here like he could transfer yeah. or he could show up win the job be really good and he's gone anyways because he's off to the nfl yeah i mean he's physically he's probably like the best cornerback on the team yeah. just from a pure physical and athletic perspective and if he's really good if everything clicks like we've been saying I, i've been saying on this podcast for basically 18 months now that if everything clicks he's the best corner on the roster but not a lot has clicked yet PFF grade isn't great, by the way, for those who haven't looked. Uh, mm -hmm. was 60 flat this year. He actually played more snaps in 21 than in 22, which sort of surprised me. But I guess there was that weird suspension stuff that happened mm. to start. So the Ohio State game, I think the Fresno State game as well, all those early games, Hill and uh, – uh, why am I blanking on the guy who ended up at, James. at uh, Auburn? Yeah, thank you. Uh, those guys weren't playing, and that provided a little bit more runway for opportunity. Um the coverage part hasn't been good if you look at PFF. He had about 150 coverage snaps each of the last two years, 60 flat, about 61 this year, and about 48 the year before. Again, good grades improvement. are improvement, but good grades are <laughs> 70s and up. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and really good, great, really good players, like really good coverage players are going to be in the 80s. And I don't think anyone really gets to the 90s, but maybe, maybe you get a couple guys nationally. Um, so that puts into perspective kind of what we've seen so far. Total agreement he should be on this list was one of the guys I thought of immediately when we kind of talked about this because I, 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 he looked at, I think, transferring before this last season. And I know that there were some rumblings yep. he was looking at entering the portal after this past year. That was a guy whose name we prepped for certainly and had heard from a couple of people might might be looking around. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think if, if he doesn't come out of spring thinking he has a really good chance to start, he's going to leave. And I wouldn't blame him because, as we've mentioned with a couple of the guys on the list here, if you're around the program for for three going on four years in, in Manning's case, and you're never able to to secure a full time starting job, go somewhere else and give yourself that opportunity if you want to play really much at all at the college level. But certainly from an NFL perspective, and I'm in agreement with Matt, like there is an outcome where Dante Manning is Oregon's number one corner, and it all comes together, and he's great, and then he's in the he's running the combine, you know, and he's in the NFL draft and certainly doesn't mm -hmm. have the upside of Gonzalez, but, you know, has the pedigree at least to be somebody who's attractive to NFL franchises. So 
yeah, I, I, I think he's one that we're going to be watching really, really closely. I just wonder, like, is there another guy besides Bridges that's going to push Manning? Like, I, I don't like it. Like I'm thinking maybe from like a team perspective, like if he isn't, if it doesn't click for Manning this season, I don't know if there's another guy that has the physical attributes that he does that you're like, okay, yeah, we're good. So to the point where maybe it's like Oregon needs him. It it needs to click if Oregon's going to have the year that they want to have at that position. We make it a lot easier. There's still a lot of upside though, right? Jared, I think that's probably where you're going because there's a lot of guys that are still we think are good, yes. we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and all the all the true freshmen bring in this year, all the true freshmen last year, and then you know, obviously Kyrie Jackson is still there to make it a one uh, the, the three headed monster idea. Um, as far as pushing Manning, I don't know. We just got to see him because I, you know, Dalen Austin is a guy who's very similar in in size as Manning, and then Roderick Pleasant is very similar in terms of athleticism as Dante Manning. So I guess those are guys you could see pushing them it's just it's just uh oregon needs manning to click because you know while both those guys have similar traits to dante manning dante manning has both of them so it'd be nice if one of those things could click it, it's for just sure. it's just for oregon these guys aren't proven is, right. is what you're dealing with yet, i think yeah. I, I did the i think it was right after pleasant sign i think oregon will have if everybody sticks around either five or six of their 10 highest rated corner recruits on the roster this mm-hmm. year because all these guys are are really highly regarded. Like Demetrius Martin probably deserves more credit than we give him for all the success he's had as a recruiter, um, especially at least since these last two cycles. Um, but are those guys ready? Are, are can you rely on those younger players? I don't know. We haven't seen it. The talent seems to be there based on recruiting rankings, but we'll figure it out. Who knows? I don't know. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening uh, to this edition. On Monday, we'll be back with a mailbag. Um, And on Wednesday of next week, we're probably going to go heavy into spring football unless somehow, some way, the the men and the women's teams interrupt our schedule of programming by making the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't know. It's another discussion for another point. But uh, that's kind of our plan. And then Friday, we'll certainly have a ton of spring football to to discuss because the first practice will have been there. So. That's what you're looking forward to on next week's shows. Uh, But for this week, thank you for listening. We'll be back. You've been listening to the Outs and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.